I'm Dr. Rebecca Bernard, and this is Patients at Risk, a discussion of the dangers that patients face when physicians are replaced by non-physician practitioners. Tonight, I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Naran Al-Ajba. She's also the co-author of our book, Patients at Risk, The Rise of the Nurse Practitioner and Physician Assistant in Healthcare. Hi, good evening. And I also have a special guest again, Dr. Phil Schaefer, who is a radiologist and has extensive experience on reviewing research studies. Thank you. Good to be back again. We often hear it said that 50 years of data show that nurse practitioners can provide the same care as physicians. In fact, some advocates even say that nurse practitioners provide better care than physicians. But are these claims true? Tonight, we are going to review the best data ever published on the care provided by nurse practitioners, the Cochrane Report. The subject was called Nurses as Substitutes for Physicians in Primary Care. Let's start with this. Naran, can you explain what Cochrane is and why it's important? Sure. The Cochrane Collaborative basically is a UK-based charitable organization that started in 1993. And it uses 13,000 volunteers throughout the world to organize medical research findings and make evidence-based treatment recommendations for healthcare professionals all over the entire world. And really, I'm used to calling it the Cochrane Collaboration because that's the time when I finished my education. And that's what it was previously known as. But it's now this Cochrane organization, essentially. And its mission is to promote evidence-based or evidence-informed health decision-making. The group is so well-respected that it currently collaborates with the World Health Organization and Wikipedia to provide medical information around the world. And it has been called the single best resource for methodologic research and developing the science of meta-epidemiology due to its standardization and regulation process. So Cochrane is extremely well-respected in the scientific community, and when they publish a review article, the medical world and policymakers take note. So in 2018, Cochrane decided to study the available literature on care provided by nurse practitioners in a report that they called Nurses as Substitutes for Doctors in Primary Care. Bill, can you tell us about some of the methodology that Cochrane used in this review? Certainly. The 2018 paper was an update. They'd done one in 2005. And for that one, they had reviewed about 4,200 studies. And for the one in 2018, they reviewed another 4,600 studies. And what they do is they they go through these studies and look at their methods and decide if they're appropriate. And they can do this through their computers and throw out studies that are too small didn't go long enough or have other design flaws. And they went through these nearly 9,000 studies and only 18 of them were analyzable. So Um, what you're saying, Phil, is that the Cochrane looked back for 50 years of research, basically from when nurse practitioners were first created in 1965. They found 9,000 studies, but of all those 9,000, they were only able to pull out 18 that were good enough to be analyzed to answer the question of whether nurse practitioners could provide adequate levels of care. Precisely, according to their criteria, but as we'll get into, even those 18 have very serious problems. Before we get into the problems, I want to review what Cochrane summarized their findings as saying. What they released as their final statement was, the substitution of nurses for physicians is one alternative strategy that may improve access, efficiency, and quality of care. The delivery of primary care by nurses instead of doctors 
probably leads to similar patient health and higher patient satisfaction. Using nurses instead of doctors makes a small amount of difference in the number of prescriptions written or tests ordered, but the difference may not matter clinically. Nurses probably have longer consultations with patients, and regarding the impact of information provided to patients, the extent to which clinical guidelines were followed and the costs of healthcare provided by nurses instead of doctors, the results were uncertain. Conclusions about these issues could not be drawn. But overall, it sounds like a pretty positive finding. Naran, do you think that Cochrane, that these, this summary is, is accurate when you actually look at what the study is reviewed? Well, it's interesting that you ask me this question because I, um, I think the way Cochrane was looking at this is not whether nurses, and actually it was nurses, not nurse practitioners. A lot of the studies involve clinical nurses or specialist nurses that have one extra year of training. And that's why some of these older studies, it, it's worthwhile discussing the details. And what's interesting is what they were looking for is, are there aspects of medicine or clinical practice where nurses could be substituted for physicians? And, and we'll talk about this, like the, the phone triage study, for example, which is really very valuable. It's a little bit like we talked about in one of the earlier podcasts, the Burlington trial, where it allowed physicians to have more time to see patients face-to-face. So to me, when I'm reading it with that, I guess, vantage point, I understand what they're saying. They're saying, wow, yes, nurses have so much value. And we've talked about this before. Nurses are a huge part of care for patients. So I don't want that part lost, that substituting certain areas, even follow-up or straightforward already diagnosed patients, there are roles where I think we need help and we can expand our access for the underserved population. This study or Cochrane really wasn't asking the question, can nurse practitioners do everything physicians can do and substitute for physicians providing care? So I, I just want to be clear. I think that that's misleading, but I, but I don't think it was intended that way. I really believe Cochrane was asking, where can we deploy people to do work that physicians have traditionally done uh, without harming patients? So it sounds like what, what people saw were the headlines, but didn't necessarily delve into the details of what exactly these studies were looking at. And that's what exactly. we're going to get into tonight. Phil, can you tell us a little bit about, you, you've noted that of the 18 studies that Cochrane found, only three of them were performed in the United States. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, certainly. One of them was written by Mary Mundinger. We covered that in great detail on the last podcast I was on. So I'm going to sort of gloss over that one and refer people back to that podcast. But suffice to say that we found that what she said she found, she didn't really find. Then there were two others, one written by Lewis in 1967, which, as we discussed briefly before, was so long ago that CT scanning didn't even exist. It used nurse practitioners been trained in, a, in an older system and may not at all be relevant to what, what's going on right now where we have a situation where there's been a dramatic increase in nurse practitioners, nurse practitioner schools, and which don't really have the quality they used to have. And that's not by my evaluation. Informed nurse practitioners will tell you that as well. You know, Phil, what I think is interesting about the Lewis study was that there were only 66 patients in this study. They were divided into two groups of 33 each. They were mostly women uh, over 50 years old, and they had one of five different chronic health conditions. 
the nurse practitioners in the study were 100% supervised. They followed protocols. The charts were reviewed every day by physicians. The goal of the study had only one goal. Would patients accept seeing a clinical nurse? And the answer was yes. So this study actually did not even analyze the care provided by nurse practitioners. Right. And we can't emphasize your point enough that the, the nurse practitioners were not seeing these patients on their own and evaluating them on their own. They were helping the physicians very much. And the, these studies have been conflated to be something they aren't when they're taken to mean that the nurses can take care of patients without any supervision. One other thing is very interesting in that a lot of these studies in the Cochrane Review had uh, patient satisfaction as an endpoint. And I kind of get upset when I read this because this isn't really a measure of quality of medical care. For one thing, patients are lay people. They don't really know how to evaluate how complete their care was. They focus on things that aren't really affecting the outcome, such as how pleasant the person was. And in, a lot, in some of these studies, the uh, nurses had twice as much time to, to work with each patient as the physicians did. And that's obviously going to improve the interpersonal relationship. The other thing is, in um, March of 2012, a, a uh, paper was published in the Archives of Internal Medicine that pointed out that patients who were most satisfied with their care had a 25% greater chance of dying. So that if, if you were very pleased with your care, it didn't mean you were getting good care at all. In fact, quite the opposite. Isn't um, that amazing? And that's something that you would not expect. So patient satisfaction is definitely not always correlated with improved outcomes. No, not at all. It's, it's a marketing measure. Naran, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about the, the very best scientific study in the United States that the Cochrane Review included, which was the study by Hamani in 1999? Sure. You know, I agree with you. I think that that was probably the best study. And that was a more of a question, you know, where, where nurse practitioners can be utilized best. And that study was done in 1999, so at least within the last 25 years. And it, it was done involving 450 patients. And what's interesting is they used a couple of groups. So nurse practitioners, medical residents, and then 10 what we would call attending level physicians, meaning we've completed our training. And so medical residents tend to have finished medical school and then have a few years of work uh, under their belt, usually one to three years. And for the attending level physicians, most of them had only seven years of practice experience. So they were relatively new to providing primary care. And most of the nurse practitioners had 13, I mean, on average, 13 years of experience. So they had five years of education. The, the physicians had 11 years of education. So I think that's what they were trying to do is have 18 years of education and experience for both groups to try to standardize it a little bit. And what's interesting is in this study, as with all the studies that we have ever come across, physicians were required to review and sign all charts of the nurse practitioners and medical residents. And so it was 100% supervised. And if there was a problem with the quality of work or something being done, those mistakes could be corrected. And you know, that's really an important part of medical education. I, I know when we all went through residency, I'm sure we got called out on the carpet for mistakes or uh, learning opportunities, things like that. And, and that's a really important part of becoming an expert. We talk about in our book how feedback about your performance is so, so important to improving your skills. So 
Nevertheless, everyone was being uh, supervised. The nurse practitioners could make their own referrals, order tests, and develop treatment plans. And what the study ended up finding was nurse practitioners utilized more healthcare resources than the medical residents in 14 of the 17 outcomes. So, you know, when I looked at it, this is something that has held since the Lewis study. And actually, there was a, another great study in 1974 we talk about in the book where that it was very clear to get the same outcomes, it costs sometimes twice as much, but clearly more for the non-physicians to provide care and have the same outcomes as physicians. And it's so interesting that in a world right now where we're trying to cut medical expenses and, and healthcare costs, that we're actually driving up those costs, I think, pretty clearly. And it's a question of whether or not the non-physician practitioners are a part of that issue. So compared to the medical residents, they utilize more resources. They also utilize more resources uh, than the physicians in 10 out of the 17 outcomes ordered more lab tests, and then they ordered, uh, I believe Phil was, was just saying, two and a half more times ultrasound, CT scans, so imaging studies as a group, which was what we call a statistically significant finding. And, and what that term means for people who aren't physicians or statisticians is that means that the study showed enough of a difference that random chance was uh, less likely or showing that difference. And so a lot of times, you know, physicians are skeptics. And so we want to know that a finding was what's called, quote, statistically significant. We know that the probability that it was a finding by random chance is unlikely. And so in that case, it really, they clearly ordered more imaging studies. Well, I just want to point out that you know, it's one thing if, if they order more CBCs, urinalyses, those are $20, $50 tests. But the CT scans, MR scans, you know, $3,500, you multiply that by two and a half times, and you're talking some serious money here. So it, it, that, that was a very significant finding, and it was statistically significant. It's interesting to me that Cochrane, when they reviewed this, downplayed it very, very much. Uh, they did not highlight that, and when I read the paper, it, that just uh, shone out to me like a, a, um, a blinking light. Well, and I'll tell you what stood out to me, just because I'm a primary care doc and a lot of the push locally in, in this state, Washington state, has been to reduce unnecessary hospital admissions. And so to me, I think the most striking finding um, was that the hospitalization rates were much higher for the patients in the nurse practitioner group. And they did not have patients who were considered higher risk. So those who had the highest risk were actually the patients of the attending physicians, so the fully trained, full-fledged, board-certified physicians. And the ones managed by the nurse practitioners had a 41% higher risk of being hospitalized, which translates into 13 more hospital admissions per 100 patients per year. And to me, that's real significant cost. And every time you hospitalize a patient, you take risks of secondary infections, mistakes. I mean, it's not as simple as it sounds that, well, they spend a few days in the hospital. So I think that that's just something that's really important not to overlook. So basically, the single best U.S. study included in the Cochrane analysis was the study by Hamani in 1999 with basically the finding that nurse practitioners ordered more tests and had higher hospitalization rates than the physician group. Let's take a minute and, and talk about the Burlington trial. You mentioned it. Naram, can you tell us a little bit about it? Because this was such a sentinel report and actually one of the very first studies ever done on nurse practitioner care, and it was performed in Canada. Yeah, it's actually one of my favorite studies to talk about because I feel like sometimes when we get an answer, we need to accept that answer as a great thing and really build on that. And I think sometimes we go searching 
for a way to tweak it or a way to somehow profit. And, and it's a shame. It was two family practice physicians and they were running a clinic and they had become full. So they could not accept any more patients. And I think Rebecca, you and I are in primary care. I'm full. I'm, I'm so full. I'm brimming at the seams. And so I love the fact that it really they approached the uh, McGill University epidemiology department and said, hey, we have these amazing nurses that have been with us for years that we really trust and have a high opinion of their skills. Can we do some extra education for them and then figure out if they can do chronic care follow-up for our patients? And it's so cool. Just if you really do sit down and read it, I, I think it's one of the most, frankly, just it, it induces goosebumps just because it's such a great idea that these two docs had and, and they had their hearts in the right place, which is about patient care. And so anyway, they went, these two nurses went to school and they started doing follow-up. And what they found is roughly 55 to 67% of the time, these two nurses could see patients independently and the patients did very well. And the patients loved it because they knew the staff at this, this clinic. So it was like a medical home to me, which is a concept that maybe is controversial still, but to me is kind of still important. And so they increased their capacity to accept new patients in the province by 22%. During the press time, there are stories about that they became really well-known throughout the province for the care that they gave these patients. Noran, you said that they were independent, but they were these nurse practitioners were always working directly with physicians, right? Correct. I'm sorry. What I should say is they would see the patients and for follow-up with very specific algorithms, and they didn't necessarily need to have the physician come in the room and actually see the patient with them. So I, I thank you for that. To correct it, they wanted to know, could they increase the capacity to see patients per day? And so when the nurses had questions, which was about 33 to 45% of the time seeing patients, they would go and get the physician. So they were working in very close collaboration together. And I think this is one of the sentinel studies that shows that when physicians and nurse practitioners work together, patients get fantastic care. But that clearly it takes that collaboration for that to happen. Absolutely. I think it, it's such a great study. And, you know, it's so interesting because the the co-author of the Burlington trial, that was Dr. William Spitzer, and he was actually one of the forefathers of evidence-based medicine. And like 20 years later, he wrote an editorial for the New England Journal of Medicine, and it was titled, The Nurse Practitioner Revisited Slow Death of a Good Idea. And he expressed concern in this that there was not good quality research on nurse practitioners. And he said that we have to really be careful not to take shortcuts when we're doing randomized controlled trials. And I know, Phil, you've pointed out that that has been a major problem in a lot of the studies that we're seeing now. Oh, yeah. The quality of the, the research that's coming out is, is just not good. It, it, to be honest, it looks as, as though there's a directed outcome often. I think it's interesting that he predicted that science or medicine would potentially take shortcuts, and he warned against that. And I think it's a really important piece of advice. We've reviewed the United States studies. We've looked at some of the Canadian studies. We've talked a little bit about the United Kingdom studies. Actually, of the 18 studies that Cochrane reviewed, seven of them were performed in the United Kingdom. We'll note that nurse practitioners in the United Kingdom at this time were always practicing under physician supervision. 
Some of the studies that were included in the United Kingdom were telephone triage studies, but there was a study that was done that was a randomized controlled trial in which nurses, they were actually clinical nurses, not nurse practitioners, and they were asked to evaluate patients with minor medical complaints. The researchers really said that there wasn't enough evidence in the study to even come up with any conclusions because the study group was not large enough to detect any rare outcomes. And this is one of the problems with some of these studies is when you're looking at low-risk medical problems, you have to have an enormous sample size to actually see, you know, people aren't going to die if they come in probably with a cold or, you know, a little low back pain, right? I think you're talking about the SHUM study in 2000, yes. And and that was uh, five different practices, which is kind of interesting in a semi-rural, suburban, and urban setting. So they kind of went across all, all settings that clinics were in. And again, a lot of these studies talk about triaging for minor medical complaints or not undifferentiated patients. So again, having a diagnosed condition. And these clinical nurses actually completed a three-month part-time educational course to learn to manage these minor complaints. And this is very similar to what we saw and talked about in the Mundinger study. So they specifically went to get an education to do this for the study. And it was 19 general practice doctors, and the study evaluated only low-risk patients. The high-risk that were excluded, children under one year, pregnant women, anyone with severe chest pain, abdominal pain, difficulty breathing, vomiting, blood, or fainting, or patients with psychiatric complaints. So that's a lot of what walks through, I would say, an average primary care physician's door. And again, this is another situation where they they call it nurses acting semi-independently. And I think that's kind of what I was trying to refer to in the Burlington trial. They would perform examinations, take histories, offer treatment, and issue prescriptions. But again, with 100% kind of oversight or ability to get feedback and, and get consultations from physicians when they needed it. Yeah, and you know, the fact that they excluded these high-risk conditions is a hallmark of pretty much everything in the Cochrane trial. Uh, all the studies that were included almost always excluded high-risk patients, and unfortunately, that's not how real life looks, and that's not how some nurse practitioners are treating patients. They are uh, dealing with everything, not just low-risk conditions. And even in the low-risk conditions, in a nutshell, nearly one in three low-risk patients was that was seen independently by the clinical practice nurses required physician collaboration. And again, we did address this, I think, in one of the other podcasts in that when you're looking at a low-risk group, the risk of death uh, as an outcome isn't really a high kind of thing. So if you're taking young people, the chances they're going to die of, say, a heart attack or stroke or something that's unexpected really isn't a common enough occurrence to judge whether or not these outcomes are avoided. And that's really what the study said. They couldn't draw conclusions about the safety and efficacy of this, of nurse-led care, because the study wasn't large enough to find these rare, unusual outcomes. One of the things that I think is interesting about Cochrane is that they titled this primary care, you know, replacement of physicians in primary care, but yet a lot of the studies were actually in specialty care. So some of the other studies that were looked at in the Cochrane in the United Kingdom was a study of patients with rheumatoid arthritis. And again, nurse practitioners were directly supervised and these were following protocols for patients with stable rheumatological disease. They also did a study in the United Kingdom on gastroenterology patients. These were patients that had dyspepsia, And patients had an endoscopy done, and then they were randomized to follow up with either a physician or a nurse practitioner. 
and of course high-risk patients were excluded and they found that nurse practitioners could do adequate follow-up of these patients. And you know, these are the sort of studies that we see. Uh, there was uh, some Netherlands studies, follow-up of diabetes, uh, excluding patients that required insulin. There was one study in South Africa in which nurse practitioners were just following up on patients with HIV infection to monitor their antiretroviral treatment. So a lot of these Cochrane studies were actually very specific evaluations and not undifferentiated general care. Yeah, it felt to me very much like they were looking for a section of medical practice where this question was being asked, how can you substitute care and where would you choose to substitute physicians? And, and again, that's where I think people drawing conclusions and media uh, headlines have um, taken it a little farther than the Cochrane Library. So, Phil, what's your kind of takeaway from a lot of this data that you've seen? Well, in, in summary, if you're trying to apply it the way people are trying to apply it now, you, you just can't do it because the methodology of the papers, even the past, their pretty stringent review, just isn't good enough to do that. And one other thing I want to point out about the U.S. studies in particular is there is a crossover problem in that all these studies had a situation where patients were assigned to a group that was, quote, NP, and a group that was physician, and they were comparing them, but the patients moved between them. So you wound up mixing these patients, and who knows what effect MP or physician had. And, and frankly, if I were reviewing these, I would throw those out just for that reason, and you're left with no U.S. studies to review. And I don't know if that was was a viable result for them. So I think they may have left some in. But I think that, especially now in 20 years hence, when there's such a push for legislators to prove nurse practitioners basically acting as doctors, that these studies are, taking total, are taken totally out of context. You cannot take a study such as even the Mundinger study, and expand it to mean that people can have full practice authority and can even declare themselves to be neurologists, dermatologists, or endocrinologists and start their own practice, which actually is what is happening out there. Exactly. Well, the Cochrane Review summarizes the best available data on the use of non-physicians over the last five decades. And again, out of over 9,000 studies, they found 18. Three of them were in the United States. All of them had variable degrees of bias. And so really, the answer is it's, it's unclear from this data whether or not nurse practitioners can actually substitute for physicians, and that data remains to be seen. It is clear that patients with minor medical complaints and low-risk conditions can definitely be treated by non-physicians following protocols and with physician supervision, but we definitely need more data before we should be replacing physicians, just carte blanche with non-physician practitioners in order to make sure that patients are treated safely. For more information about this topic, please check out our book, Patients at Risk, The Rise of the Nurse Practitioner and Physician Assistant in Healthcare. It's available on Amazon. And also, if you're a physician, we urge you to join us at Physicians for Patient Protection. Our website is physiciansforpatientprotection.org. Thanks, and we'll see you on our next podcast. Mm -hmm.